<sighs> the comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Welcome to the Tech Meme Ride Home for Tuesday, February 11th, 2020. I'm Brian McCullough. Today, all of the headlines from the big Samsung Unpacked event. The T-Mobile Sprint merger is officially a go, mostly. Brandless is the first SoftBank company to shut down entirely a serious lifeline for SoundCloud. And has the CIA quietly been the real owner of the leading encryption company for decades? Here's what you missed today in the world of tech. The Samsung Unpacked event was today, and unpacked, it was jam-packed. Let's hit the big news first. Samsung's flagship smartphone lineup this year is officially the Galaxy S20. So indeed, we're skipping everything from the Galaxy S11 through the Galaxy S19, but, you know, if you were going to go to a year-based naming scheme, this would probably be the year to do it. There are three versions of the S20, the Galaxy S20 the Galaxy S20 Plus, and the highest end, the Galaxy S20 Ultra. I'll get to the specs and the differences in a second, but first, one important thing to note. All three of the Galaxy S20 devices get Qualcomm Snapdragon 865 chipsets, which means they all get 5G, which means 5G is really officially at long last here. And technically, each of these phones officially has 5G appended to the names, but, you know, let's not do that. Okay, specs. The Galaxy S20 is a 6.2-inch screen. The Galaxy S20 Plus is a 6.7-inch screen. And the Galaxy S20 Ultra is a 6.9-inch screen. They're available beginning March 6th. The pre-orders begin February 21st. And the price ranges from $999.99 to $1,599.99. Take it away, Dieter at The Verge, quote, If you're trying to make sense of the differences between the three phones, there's good news and bad news. The good news is that at a high level, all you need to know is that although they mostly share the same guts, there's a good, better, best cadence to them. The 6.2-inch S20 lacks MM Wave 5G and has the lowest-end camera array of the three. The 6.7-inch S20 Plus adds MM Wave and better cameras. And finally, the S20 Ultra is unabashedly huge at 6.9 inches with a camera system that's as big and complex as nearly any other you can find on a phone. After a couple years of other Android phone makers nipping at Samsung's heels, the S20 lineup is the company's statement for 2020 that it can still make the best Android phones around. Though Samsung will tell you the name jumped from S10 to S20 because it represents a new foundation, what it really means is that Samsung is doing whatever it can to make you pay attention to these phones. That's probably because once you absorb their impressive specs, these look, feel, and act exactly like the Samsung Galaxy phones you're already familiar with. Build quality is excellent. The screens are vibrant and massive, and the glass on the back picks up fingerprints like it's a crime lab investigator. The new design elements are minor. The hole punch for the selfie camera has been reduced and moved to the center. The camera bump has been extended into a rectangle to accommodate even more cameras, and the headphone jack is gone, making 2020 the first year when every major flagship phone from Samsung won't have one, end quote. Each display on the S20s 
is an OLED HDR Plus with 120 hertz refresh rate. And yes, the 5G capability is a big deal, but the camera system is a big deal too. The S20 Plus and Ultra get 48, 64, and 108 megapixel sensors, though the default when you're actually shooting will always be for 12 megapixel shots, quoting Dieter again. Samsung's contention is that it's able to use a combination of these sensors, the chips that control them, and its own software to make those high-end megapixel sensors do things that other smartphones can't like zoom in up to 100 times when taking a photo. For the S20 Ultra, Samsung went all out and included a folded zoom lens, which means that the hole on the back of the phone actually hits a prism that redirects light across the phone to the sensor. It's the same basic concept Huawei used in the P30 to achieve its zoom last year. That gets the S20 Ultra to 4x zoom. Then Samsung says it can do lossless hybrid optic zoom up to 10x through some combination of binning, combining multiple pixels into one big pixel, and sensor cropping. After that, it's digital zoom up to 100x using similar methods, end quote. Now, other deets on these phones. The S20 has a 4,000 mAh battery, the Plus a 4,500 mAh, and the Ultra 5,000 mAh battery. I might have actually missed the part on the claimed battery life, though. These are the first Samsung phones to record 8K video. Samsung really wants you to know about that whole folded lens system, which bounces light through a mirror so it doesn't have to have as protruding a camera bump while getting all that zoom. Still, though, the camera modules on the back are ginormous, like kind of looks like a fourth of the overall back real estate. The phones come in a range of colors. There will be a special Olympics version The new ability to share files between Galaxy phones that was rumored is here. And then, on, of course, to the foldable phone, the Galaxy Z Flip. Yes, it is Samsung's first foldable phone to feature a glass screen, which Samsung promises will be more durable, capable of being unfolded 200,000 times. The OLED is 6.7 inches. It has an exceptionally wide 22 by 9 aspect ratio, but it folds up to be the size of a wallet, Samsung said. I was unable to find the exact dimensions right now. Samsung 855 plus processor, 8 gigabytes of RAM, and 256 gigabytes of internal storage. It has a 3300 mAh battery, Dual cameras of the 12-megapixel sensor variety, one of those an ultra-wide lens. There's a one-inch display on the outside when you fold it up that mostly shows the time and notifications, but it is an AMOLED display, so it can also be used as a viewfinder when taking selfies. And yes, Samsung wanted to tell you a lot about how it made this happen with its hinge. The hinge can hold itself open at any angle. Samsung calls this flex mode. When in flex mode, there is automatic screen and app adjustment, so you could, say, have a YouTube video playing at the top and comments scrolling on the bottom. The hinge is designed to be more durable with a sort of cilia fiber system in there to keep dust and other stuff from getting in and screwing things up. But very important, the Z Flip is not 5G, which really, once I realized that, I mean, does that kind of hobble this phone? Maybe make it dead on arrival if this is the year of 5G. Still, really not an underpowered phone by any means, and decent price, at least in the foldable universe, quoting 9to5Google. Where the Galaxy Fold cost $1,980, the Galaxy Z Flip starts at $1,380. It's still quite the investment, but 
a much easier pill to swallow. Plus, the Z Flip is available at all major carriers in the U.S., and there will be deals to help with that cost. The Z Flip is available on February 14th, end quote. What else? Live captioning is coming to the S20s. I believe these are the first non-Pixel phones to get that. Also, Google's Duo automatic calling system comes to these phones. Also, the first non-Pixels, I believe, to get those. Bixby integration is coming to Netflix on these phones, so you can just talk out loud and ask for the show you want to watch. Samsung also unveiled the Galaxy Buds Plus earbuds. Apparently, they have 40% larger speakers, but no noise cancellation, interestingly. Apparently, there are now two different microphones to improve call quality, which was a complaint that a lot of people had in the previous generation. They also have wireless charging, so you can use the back of a compatible Galaxy phone to charge them. 11 hours of battery time, 22 hours with the case. That's a pretty huge boost to battery life. They will cost $149 and will launch February 14th. And I think that's everything. I'll pick up anything I miss tomorrow. So I think it's officially official. The T-Mobile Sprint merger is a done deal mostly after a U.S. judge has ruled in the company's favor in the $26 billion deal and against the state attorneys general who had brought a lawsuit to block the deal. Quoting CNBC, in his decision filed Tuesday, Judge Victor Marrero wrote, quote, The resulting stalemate leaves the court lacking sufficiently impartial and objective ground on which to rely in basing a sound forecast of the likely competitive effects of a merger, end quote. The judge laid out three points on which the court rejected the state's objection to the merger. First, he said they failed to convince the court that the merged party, quote, would pursue anti-competitive behavior that, soon after the merger, directly or indirectly, will yield higher prices or lower quality for wireless telecommunications services, end quote. Second, the court rejected that Sprint would be able to continue operating effectively as a wireless services competitor without the merger. Quote, the court is thus substantially persuaded that Sprint does not have a sustainable long-term competitive strategy and will in fact cease to be a truly national mobile network operator, the ruling said. And finally, the court rejected the state's argument that Dish Network, quote, would not enter the wireless services market as a viable competitor nor live up to its commitments to build a national wireless network, end quote. The deal called for DISH to step in as a new wireless player based on agreements with the DOJ and FCC, end quote. So again, kind of official. The stocks of both companies are soaring in an indication that they think it's official. Though worth noting that the California Public Utilities Commission still has to approve the transaction. When you go through airport security, there's one line where the TSA agent checks your ID and another line where a machine scans your bag. The same thing happens in enterprise security, but instead of passengers and luggage, it's end users and their devices. These days, most companies are pretty good at the first part of the equation where they check user identity, but user devices can roll right through authentication without getting inspected at all. In fact, 47% of companies allow unmanaged, untrusted devices to access their data. That means an employee can log in from a laptop that has its firewall turned off and hasn't been updated in six months. Or worse, that laptop might belong to a bad actor using employee credentials. 
Collide finally solves the device trust problem. Collide ensures that no device can log into your Okta-protected apps unless it passes your security checks. Plus, you can use Collide on devices without MDM, like your Linux fleet, contractor devices, and every BYOD phone and laptop in your company. Visit collide.com slash ride to watch a demo and see how it all works. That's K-O-L-I-D-E dot com slash ride, collide.com slash ride. With everybody fighting for attention, how can your business stand out and connect with customers? Easy. Get Constant Contact. Constant Contact's award-winning marketing platform has helped millions of small businesses stand out, stay top of mind, and see big results fast. Constant Contact makes it easy to promote your business with powerful tools like email and SMS marketing, social media posting, and even events management. With Constant Contact, you'll reach new audiences, grow your customer list, and communicate more effectively to sell more, raise more, and fast-track growth. Don't know much about marketing? No sweat. Constant Contact's writing assistance tools and automation features help you say the right thing at the right time, every time. Plus, you can send with confidence knowing your emails are actually reaching your customers thanks to Constant Contact's best-in-class 97% deliverability rate. I use this, and you should too. Tackle any challenge with Constant Contact's expert live customer support. Plus, everything's backed by their 30-day money-back guarantee, so get going and start growing your business today with a free trial at ConstantContact.com. Just go to ConstantContact.com right now. Constant Contact, helping the small stand tall. ConstantContact.com. We do officially have our first SoftBank-backed company to enter the Deadpool. Direct-to-consumer retailer Brandless plans to shut down, laying off 70 people or 90% of its staff. The remaining 10 employees will finish any outstanding customer orders and evaluate offers to buy the company's assets, quoting Protocol. While many SoftBank companies have been facing layoffs and trimming costs, Brandless is the first to shutter its business operations entirely, a SoftBank Vision Fund representative confirmed to protocol. The Japanese conglomerate declined to comment further. In early January, SoftBank-backed Zoom laid off half its staff, shutting down its pizza delivery operations, and announced it was refocusing around sustainable packaging. Other troubled SoftBank companies are reworking their business models as well, like CarLeaser Fair, which announced it was no longer going to rent cars weekly to Uber drivers, citing the high insurance costs. Brandless had been one of SoftBank's highest-profile companies. Launched in 2017, the online retailer had a big ambition to sell better-for-you essential products at lower-than-name brand prices, going toe-to-toe against Amazon and Walmart. But the economics were tricky from the start. Everything it sold was $3, a fact that reportedly flabbergasted and intrigued SoftBank founder Masayoshi Son. A year after its launch, SoftBank pledged a $240 million investment in the company at a valuation of over $500 million, a high bar for a year-old company. In total, the company raised around $290 million from investors, including Redpoint, NEA, GV, and Slow Ventures, according to PitchBook, end quote. Apparently, SoftBank structured its deal so that it would deliver the cash in stages, so it's highly likely that that full $240 million was never actually delivered. Brandless was reportedly losing tons of money due to high shipping costs, and the rumors have been swirling all weekend that the Vision Fund 2 is having trouble raising money, and once it closes, will likely be way below the targeted $100 billion planned. 
Lifeline for SoundCloud, which has been a company that has seemed to be floundering. Sirius XM has invested $75 million in SoundCloud in exchange for a minority stake and two seats on the SoundCloud board of directors. Worth noting that last year, Sirius XM purchased music streaming service Pandora, quoting The Hollywood Reporter. The minority investment follows a successful advertising sales relationship between SoundCloud and Pandora that started last year. Under the relationship, advertisers and brands can purchase SoundCloud's U.S. ad inventory directly through Pandora and use the company's direct sales capabilities, targeting data, and audio programmatic platform. Together, SoundCloud and Pandora's combined U.S. audience offering reaches more than 100 million unique listeners, creating the largest digital audio advertising marketplace, SiriusXM said on Tuesday. SoundCloud, which offers a free and ad-free $9.99 a month service for listeners, as well as various service tiers for creators that cost between $6 and $16 per month, said it set all-time highs for engagement, creators heard, subscribers, and revenue in 2019. The company mentioned it for the first time reached a $200 million forward revenue run rate in the fourth quarter. The improvements came after SoundCloud in 2017 faced an uncertain future before securing a $169.5 million round of funding from the likes of Rain Group and Singapore-based investment company Temasek, along with a new executive team, end quote. According to Nielsen, Streaming now makes up fully 19% of overall U.S. TV watching hours, with Netflix comprising 31% of streaming on TVs, followed by YouTube at 21%, Hulu at 12%, and Amazon at 8%. Quoting CNET, Everything else, a kitchen sink grouping that included free ad-supported options such as Tubi, as well as brand new subscription services such as Disney Plus represented a 28% chunk of viewership, almost as big as Netflix itself. The ballooning number of services has raised the specter of subscription fatigue. Like many studies, Nielsen found that the vast majority of people subscribe to one to three paid streaming services. But as options expand, we aren't showing signs of pulling back. 93% say they'll either increase or keep their existing streaming subscriptions. When adding a new paid service, more people said they'd simply add on a new one at an additional cost, 38%, rather than swapping out one they already have, 27%. And 13% say they would sample new content by borrowing login credentials from someone they know. When people do cancel a paid service, the majority... 42% say they quit because they felt they weren't using it enough to make the cost worthwhile. People who sign up for just one piece of programming are in the minority, with 16% saying they canceled a service after viewing the only piece of content, though another 20% say they canceled because they've watched everything they were interested in, end quote. Note that Nielsen found you had 646,152 unique titles to choose from last year across the traditional linear TV and all the streaming services. That was up 10% from the previous year. About 9% of those 600,000-odd titles were exclusive to one subscription service or another. Finally today, this one is a bit of a wow. Sources have told the Washington Post that the CIA has for years secretly been the owner of the leading supplier of encryption systems worldwide and could easily read both allies' and adversaries' communications for decades. A source is quoted in the story as calling this the intelligence coup of the decade. Quote, the company, Crypto AG, 
got its first break with a contract to build code-making machines for U.S. troops during World War II. Flush with cash, it became a dominant maker of encryption devices for decades, navigating waves of technology from mechanical gears to electronic circuits and finally silicon chips and software. The Swiss firm made millions of dollars selling equipment to more than 120 countries well into the 21st century. Its clients included Iran, military juntas in Latin America, nuclear rivals India and Pakistan, and even the Vatican. But what none of its customers ever knew was that Crypto AG was secretly owned by the CIA in a highly classified partnership with West German intelligence. These spy agencies rigged the company's devices so they could easily break the codes that countries used to send encrypted messages, end quote. Now, the program did have its limits, as the Soviet Union and China were never customers of Crypto AG. But, for example, thanks to the program, which was originally internally codenamed Thesaurus and later Rubicon, during the 1979 Iranian hostage crisis, for example, the CIA and NSA could monitor the communications of the Iranian mullahs. Britain could track Argentina's military during the Falklands War, And this is how intelligence agencies knew that Libya was behind the 1986 bombing of a Berlin disco. Quoting again, From 1970 on, the CIA and its code-breaking sibling, the National Security Agency, controlled nearly every aspect of crypto's operations, presiding with their German partners over hiring decisions, designing its technology, sabotaging its algorithms, and directing its sales targets. Then, the U.S. and West German spies sat back and listened, end quote. That's all for today, since I've got a rush to get this out. Follow me on Twitter at BrianMCC. Tell your friends about the podcast. Talk to you tomorrow. Tomorrow.